Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Cannell and Bell. Raja Bell, Tommy Tran here with you. Uh, Danny's on assignment, and by I mean assignment, he's outdoors. He's right? teeing off somewhere <laughs> in some celebrity event. Must be nice. Doing work yeah. with a company there. So uh, we got a lot to talk about over the next hour here on HQ, and let's just start on the hardwood in the association. James Harden going um, off again. What else is new against the Nets? Now, one of the surprising things here is 58 and then 57 the game before. So that's 115 points. None of those shots assisted there, Raja. Yeah, that's, you see that? You hear that. What do you think? That's pretty remarkable that you could go, you know, for 58, 57, and not one bucket be off of an assist. Um, you know, I like it's the beauty of Mike D'Antoni, but it's kind of the curse also at times. Like Mike will find something that works and just absolutely stick to it and ride it until the wheels fall off. Um, I think in this case it could be a little too much. Like I, I know that their best options offensively are obviously you know James Harden and then Chris Paul when healthy with the ball in their hands. But it's got to be really difficult to sustain this type of play. I mean, he, he it, it's just physically too much, if you know what I mean. If, you, if you're going through the rigors of, like, 82 games, your body can play at a high level. It can produce for you at a high level. And then all of a sudden, it just will stop. Like, there goes a groin. There goes a calf. There goes a adductor. And when that happens... Like, you know, it's not a gradual thing. It's just like, I've had enough and it'll, it'll quit on you. And it's just a lot to be putting on one guy's shoulders to make all of that offense work. And now there's no Clint Capella. Um, there's no Eric Gordon. And so it is all falling to James Harden to do this type of work. I, I just think it's a little bit too much for him. Obviously he's having a, an MVP type of season with it, but I think it's too much. I think it'll take its toll on him late in the season, which he has produced 18 straight games or 30 or more points. And it's really led to their sort of when they were struggling before Christmas. They come out and, and they go through this run to kind of catapult them from what they were like 13th, 14th in the West. They're now mid-tier when they're kind of going out, maybe slipped just a little bit. When people talk, usually talk negatively about hero ball, when yeah. like, oh man, this guy is not good because it's hero ball. Russell Westbrook, a lot of times people go with, why does maybe Harden get a pass? Is it because of the injuries or, or when you look at that, not many people are really criticizing the points that he's putting up and the way that he's putting it up. Yeah. Well, I think it's twofold. Number one, like their offense, is so simple, and they've simplified it to the point where you know that's what they want to do. Like, Oklahoma City still kind of looks like they're running sets, and so when Russell Westbrook takes the ball and just breaks the set, that can be, like, alarming to people. You're like, hey, why are you doing that? But they're basically telling you, this is what we want to do. You know, we're going to flatten everybody else out, and we're going to let James Harden dance. So you start to get, like, accustomed to seeing it like that. Plus, James Harden is way more efficient than Russell Westbrook scoring the ball. Like, Russ doesn't really shoot threes very well. You know, James can go... I don't know, like 10 for 25 and not shoot a great percentage for the field, but still have a bunch of points because he's at the free throw line. He shot, what, 23 free throws last night? So he's at the free throw line and he's making threes, which are both high percentage plays. So it kind of skews the numbers in his favor. Uh, but I think gen generally speaking, it's because Mike D'Antoni's making no bones about telling you this is how we're going to play. This is what we want him to do. We support it. And so like as a consumer, we just kind of get used to seeing it. It's what it's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and the Nets uh, certainly expected that. They got scored upon a lot, but behind Spencer Dinwiddie and company, the Nets do uh, get that I missed, win. I missed on Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, full disclosure, I was scouting for Cleveland, and I went to the D-League Showcase uh, in Santa Cruz. This would have been, you know, I don't know, the year we went to the finals and we lost. Kyrie got hurt. 
So you had guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Clint Capella. Who else would have been in the league right now? Those are just two names that stick out, stuck out. I wrote a glowing report on Clint Capella. I thought he was going to be really good. I did not write one on Spencer Dinwiddie. I just didn't see what he's turned out to be. So kudos to him, man. He's a really, really good player. Real quickly before we move on, what did you see then that you didn't think was good, and what is he showing you now? I didn't know. Like he had a nice skill set. He had good size. He, you know, he he was good with the ball, but he didn't have like an alpha in him in, in this D League showcase. And you know, admittedly, it's a really small sample size. I'm only there for two days, and so I only get to see him play twice. I don't know if he's just not feeling well or if he's not really excited to be in the D League, which is, you know, it's a very real thing, right? Nobody wants to be in the D League. So you could come out and be like, ah, man, I don't want to want to be here and not look great. All the skills were there. I just questioned whether he had the the oomph. To go get it, and clearly I missed because he's got a he's got a whole lot of moxie about him, um, and he's proven me wrong. So good for you, young man. A little fun team to watch. Yeah, Brooklyn, D'Angelo Russell, they got Damari Carroll. They're they're kind of they're playing well. Sure, surprising some people there. Um, surprising some people in the East, Boston. Boy, a team that we thought coming in like the Rockets, high expectations, roller coaster type season. Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics do snap a three-game losing streak. They get that done. But really, after the game, was something that he said. I was a little surprised that he was open about uh, a conversation that he had with LeBron James. And we'll take a listen before we break it down. I had to uh, call LeBron, you know, and tell him, like, you know, I apologize for being that young player that wanted to everything at his, you know, at his fingertips. And I wanted everything to uh, be at... You know, my threshold, I wanted to be the guy that led us to change. I wanted to be the leader. I wanted to be all that. And, you know, the responsibility of being the best player in the world and leading a team is something that's not meant for many people. And Brown was one of those guys that came to Cleveland and tried to really show, show us what it's like to win a championship. And it was hard for him. And uh, sometimes getting the most out of the group, it's not the easy, easiest thing in the world. Oh, relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, relax. 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 We're good. All right, relax, okay? Just, <laughs> what's up? One question at a time, because when you bring up Brown, of course it brings extra credit. <laughs> All right, so before I get your thoughts, let me just give the Cliff Notes version in case anybody's not caught up. So this is sort of, obviously, like I mentioned, Celtics have been struggling a little bit, loser three straight. Goes back to Saturday night in Orlando, kind of drawn up a final play. It's not Kyrie's liking, gets into it with Brad Stevens. Tatum misses the shot. He gets into it with Gordon Hayward. And then you have a situation where they do bounce back. But what he's sort of referencing is sort of being in this leadership role and being sort of the other guys, the Jalen Browns, the Tatums back when he's with Cleveland, having a little bit more of appreciation for LeBron. What did you hear and what do you think? Yeah, no, I think he was, you know, kind of bearing his soul as as – you know, a guy who might regret his decision a little bit. Like, and maybe it plays out that he doesn't regret it in the long run, but clearly he thought it was a lot easier to lead a team than it really is, you know? And, you know, while, while we were there in, in Cleveland and I was only there for a year with him, Le- LeBron's got a way about him that sets an example for everyone else, you know, and he holds people accountable, but that wasn't something that he walked into the league being able to do. It took him a while. His teams didn't win right away. Like they went to the playoffs and he might got into the finals, but he never got over that hump. And it took him coming to Miami, figuring it out. Um, they had already won. D Wade had already gotten there. Pat Riley helped mold him. You know, so did Eric Spolstra. He grew into that type of leader, the leader that I saw in Cleveland and Kyrie and Kevin Love and everybody else. You know, kind of reap the benefits. And they were learning on the job, if you will, kind of like LeBron did in Miami. Uh, and I think that, you know, if, if Kyrie were to really tell you, he probably, he opted out of that too early. Like it, there was still learning to be done at, at, at LeBron's kind of feet, if you will. Do you know, like he could still 
um, learn from the, the style and the leadership uh, and what it takes on a day-to-day basis in terms of setting an example in the weight room and setting an example on the court and and um, you know taking ownership when things don't go well and not pointing fingers at other people. Like He could have learned for a couple more years under that, and there was still life in Cleveland. Kyrie opted out early, which set off a domino effect with, with LeBron and the rest of them, but I think that's what you got from Kyrie there. It was a little too early. I still had learning to do, and man, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be to lead a, a, a team full of men. The expectations, that's always a funny thing when you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And when you look and you think about Kyrie, fantastic offensive player, dominant closer. We saw that in the NBA Finals, of course. And and you sort of, and I think what he realizes of what how much LeBron takes care of defensively on the court, and as you mentioned, all the other little things, it always brings up to mind in recent memory here, like Penny and Shaq, Shaq and Kobe. Sure. Sure, the, the little things differ, but the gist of it is like, hey, you got a little bit of a big brother, a little bit of a little brother, a little brother thinks he's he's really good, wants to come out and do his thing, and then yeah. it hasn't really played out. Because, again, he was hurt uh, for a lot of last year. Gordon Hayward was out the entire year. This first tour of full three, four months of what we've seen of the Celtics has not gone as scripted. Look, if I'm going to be honest, and I really like Kyrie, I like Kyrie's dad, like I got to know them, they're, they're really good people. Um, but Kyrie by himself as the leader of a team hasn't translated in the NBA into wins. It, it really hasn't. Like that didn't start happening until LeBron came back to Cleveland. Now Kyrie was the closer in a lot of those situations, but being the closer, being the guy responsible for everything are two completely different things. You know, it's easier to be the closer and have the security when you know if it doesn't go well, it's all going to fall to the leader of the team. Like that's a much safer space to be in as a player. That's not all on your shoulders. But now when you are the leader and the closer, and if the closing doesn't go well, everything falls on your shoulders, that's a way more vulnerable position to be in as a young man. And um, that's where Kyrie finds himself now. Uh, and he does also find himself in an interesting situation where he's not that old. He's still relatively young, but he's got younger players that are now the little brothers acting like he was acting to some degree with LeBron, right? Like, I want to get out of this shadow. You cast a big one. Like, I want to get out and cut my teeth as a leader. Um, and I would say to them, the same thing I would say to Kyrie, don't rush it. Like, you'll, you'll get there. If it's meant to be, you'll get there one day. Don't rush it. Like, if you've got the security of having a guy who everyone's going to point the finger at when things don't go well and you just kind of get to do you in this little safe space, ride that out. See if you guys can win some championships like that and maybe move on. What do you think about the timing? Because usually this is something that comes out in a magazine in the offseason yeah. or a podcast that kind of floats. This is after like a, a game during the season and this is kind of happening. Right? Yeah, I, I look, I've said it for weeks now. Something is not right in the Boston locker room. Um, I think that they're way too young. And again, Kyrie, as a leader, um, the jury is still out. What I do know is he is still relatively young. So is Gordon Hayward. These are not like grizzled vets in the NBA that have won championships and have this cachet about them as human beings. Like they have a cachet as a player, but like you have to have a cachet as like a, an elder statesman, as a, as a, as a dad figure. You know, LeBron has that. Um, you know, they were players shacking those guys like Kobe to some degree. They had that. So guys like deferred to them. These guys don't have it. And so I, I think, you know, you see Kyrie really soul searching right now. You know, first of all, probably a little regret for his decision and the way that played out. Uh, but also really just trying to figure out how he can help this uh, Boston team be the best version of themselves. And I bet we probably what he didn't divulge in the, uh, the conversation with LeBron is he might have asked him, like I would have, if I was on the phone with LeBron after the apologies and getting to the bottom of it, 
like, hey, man, give me some advice as to how I can help what I've got here in Boston be the best that it can be because I'm struggling with that right now. And I think there's a little funk in the Boston locker room. Boston beating Toronto, which is tied with Milwaukee top the East standings. And, again, if, if things work out for Boston, we may look back here at, uh, what, uh, January 16th slash 17th, look at it as a date as sort of a turning point yeah. for them. Uh, speaking of LeBron, um, having a little more free time to maybe feel the, a Kyrie Irving call because he's, he's sidelined right now. Um, Chris asked one of our hosts, we were joking about how many more, uh, suits this, can LeBron wear there right. to, to be on the sideline there. But, uh, here we go. Cleared for practice to return next week, but still going to miss at least two more games. Um, longest absence of his career. Memory played 82 regular season games last year. You throw in all the postseason games. Um, this is the funny thing, though, because, you know, the Lakers are just outside the playoff hunt. But what are the expectations there? Because if if what we're reading here and what we're hearing here is he, if he, man, if he tweaks that thing further, it could be bad. Yeah, I think anytime you're dealing with a, a strained groin or, like, you know, those muscles that typically adductors, um, hammies, stuff like that, if you come back too early, calves, come back too early and you really put another two degrees on the strain so if it goes from a first degree strain to like a a third degree like strain that's considerable time so you want to err on the side of caution make sure that he's a hundred percent uh healthy i'd even give him you know once he told me he was a hundred percent and he practiced i'd give him another four or five days just to make sure that he was like you know 110 percent ready to go and maybe even stronger than before this could turn out to be good for the lakers and you know i initially said it would be good because a lot of these guys you know, got some, got some experiences this year that they wouldn't otherwise get because LeBron dominates the ball. So you've got guys stepping up, playing different roles on the team. Um, that's still a reason, but the second reason is LeBron gets all this rest that he normally doesn't get. Uh, and LeBron is, he's, a, he's been a machine and I watched him play, um, you know, when I was there with him and he was a different player when he had like a day rest or two days rest versus one day rest. So now you're banking, I don't know, three, four, five weeks worth of rest in the middle of a season that he otherwise wouldn't get. Um, you bank those and, and then, you know, they show, you know, fruits and, and they pay dividends in the playoffs potentially. So if they can keep the ship afloat, which it looks like they can, they got some tough games coming up. They'll be around 500 if he comes back after the next four games. Utah's got some tough games too. They'll be maybe two games ahead. That's not too much ground to make up in the second half of the season. And if you're the Lakers, you want to get in. Like you don't want to be eight because you don't want to pull Golden State at the end of the day. Uh, you want to be seven, six, something like that. You take your chances with, with, you know, one of those other teams, a Houston or a, or a OKC Thunder or something like that. And you're, you're in good shape because I think they could beat anybody outside of Golden State in a playoff series. Yeah. It didn't look good early. I think they started like one and five without LeBron. I think they're closer to like four and seven. So they're kind of getting back to the Mendoza line. Um, one of the few things, you know, James's agent, Rich Paul told the athletic, you know, best case scenario, three weeks, worst case is six weeks. So right now they're at the three-week mark, and you're saying if LeBron says, I'm good, tack on another yeah. five or six days. Yeah, if he's ready to go in four, give him five, okay. you know, provided you're keeping the ship afloat. Like, hopefully the bottom doesn't fall out on him. So sticking with uh, NBA, sticking with the injury theme, Waiters Island. Yeah, oh, man. Man, I am, uh, since being down here in South Florida, learning of the sort of this cult following that Dion Waiters has, by the way. Um, someone tweeted, I still have my property on Waiters Island. I'm right. in it. <laughs> Um, 12 minutes, uh, in a loss to the Bucks the other day and, and sort of him coming back off of a big injury where he missed, uh, you know, 52 games last year coming back right now. What do you make of the thing right now? Yeah, that's Dion being Dion. Like I, I, I know Dion well. I spent a lot of time with Dion, uh, again in Cleveland. I said it's been the theme of the program, but my task when I got there was a Dion waiters that was already a little disgruntled and David Griffin wanted me to spend some time with Dion. 
try to get him on the reservation. Dion is always a guy. He's so talented and he's got this belief in Dion that, you know, it's hard to talk to him about, you know, what's good for the whole sometimes, you know? And so we had LeBron, like LeBron and Dion was not wanting to defer to LeBron at all. Like he wanted it on his own terms. And I respected that. I did try to talk him off the ledge a little bit, but I respected it. And then, um, you know, what you got here in, in, in Miami is a Dion coming off of injury, Miami playing decent without him. And guys like, uh, Justice Winslow and, you know, uh, Jason, Josh Richardson, they're going to play, you know? And so if they're 21 and 21, Dion, you're coming back off of a year worth of injury. You got to kind of like bide your time and wait to get back in the fold a little bit. I, I, I do have to say though that Eric Spolstra's system and the way he plays guys can be very difficult because there's no consistent role. He kind of plays guys by the seat of his pants and that can become frustrating as a player. Or the anti D'Antoni. Yes, correct. Correct. You there. never really know what you're going to get out of, uh, out of Eric Spolstra. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You have Zion Williamson, you know, the YouTube sensation coming out of high school, going through his first year at Duke with the fabulous freshman of Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. Got poked in the eye yeah. not too long ago in that game. Uh, Florida State didn't play in the second half. Cam Reddish hit that three. Then they go and lose to Syracuse uh, as we're taking a look at some video of, of what Zion <laughs> bring to the table. By the way, if you don't know about Zion, where you been? Um, Hall of Famer Scotty Pippen was talking about Zion saying, quote, I think he's locked up the biggest shoe deal. I think he's definitely going to be the number one pick. I think he's done enough for college basketball, and it's more about him personally. I would shut it down. I would stop playing because I feel like uh, he could risk a major injury, and that could really hurt his career. That's the Hall of Famer. Talk about a kid. We know about sort of the model that football takes, which is take some of these bowl games off. Right. How's that sit with you? Um, yeah, I feel like they're two different animals. Like I, I, I think it's becoming the norm to some degree in football. I don't think basketball players subscribe to that as much. Like Duke is still in the conversation for a national championship. Some of those bowl games are being played by teams that don't have anything to play for. Like Zion's still squarely in the hunt for a national championship. Yeah, there is some risk. There's always some an inherent risk when you go out there and you take the court or the field or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, and, and you've got to kind of roll the dice on that. Scotty's not wrong though. Like, yeah, he's already made his money. Like it's done. He, there's enough sample size. Like guys like me, you know, I, I wasn't, I was wrong. Well, not all the way. I thought RJ was going to be the number one. I thought Zion would be number two. From what he's done so far, he'll be the number one pick in the draft. Um, and in terms of shoe money, he's the most electrifying. Even if RJ goes number one, Zion's the more electrifying, like click getter on YouTube and, and, and Instagram and all that. So he's already made all of the money that he needs to make. I just don't know that I shut it down. You know, but let me give you let me give you an argument to support that though, real quick. Two names: Kyrie Irving. Yes, I was going to bring him up. Right, yep. Kyrie played eight games, a total of eleven. Played eight, got injured. Came back for the tournament. Tournament, yeah. Sweet Sixteen, lost to Arizona, number one pick in the draft. And then just last year, Michael Porter Jr. played mm-hmm. one game, okay. got hurt in that game, wound up playing three because he played the the SEC championship and then got knocked out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Went fourteenth overall. So those two examples would support you don't really need to play once people know what you do and they get a little bit of a sample size. Zion's given them more than enough of that. Um 
I just don't subscribe to shutting them down, though. Yeah, I was going to bring up Kyrie. Also, um, I was bringing up, who was I going to think of? Well, Ben Simmons, right? So Ben Simmons didn't get hurt, but his team was so bad that when he, when you're perceived as the number one pick, you know, they didn't make it, they made it to the NIT, said no thanks, because they didn't make it to the tournament. Correct. It's a different thing. That, that's looks, different. And Zion looks like he really loves playing with all those guys. So I think, you know, if he could play, I think he wants to play. Right. But the bigger, you know, the bigger point here is like, like, you know, this socially and like, I mean, I don't know, this would even be like constitutional rights type of deal. Like, you're making a guy go to school. What other sport do we make them do that? Yeah. No, seriously. Like if you uh, forget sports. Like if you're a concert pianist, do you have to go to like one year of college before you can take your wares and start like making money on like uh, doing orchestra work? And do you like no? What Ben Simmons was saying. Like, like he looks back at his one year at LSU. So like I really didn't. Do like that. what are you doing? What's he doing there? Like guys, like there are certain guys. Not everybody. This is not for every blue chip five-star guy right some of them need to go and physically mature and mature mentally but a guy that's as big as a house jumps through the roof is it like he's got no business being on a college campus you know they rj barrett too they got no business being there so like you know it's a bigger it's a bigger topic that we're not going to get right. into but you know I, I understand what scotty's saying i if you're there play it out especially if your team has a chance to win a championship yeah different discussion for a different day either do the high school thing make the two-year thing either way the one-year thing to your point makes it kind of tough about Welcome back to Canel and Bell. We start off socially relevant with the saga that seemingly will not end. So Antonio Brown is just tweeting through the beef at this point. This all started up again because Bruce Arians basically said that AB has become more of a diva since being drafted in 2010. So, of course, AB fired back. He tweeted out, quote, he didn't draft me. He drafted Emmanuel Sanders, same guy who missed rehab to go on networks to talk about me on situations. He has zero clue. Arians now wears Kangol hats and glasses, but I'm a diva. Done seen it all. Then they say we friends stop lying. So it actually didn't even end there. Emmanuel Sanders then chimed in. He said, quote, this is so fun to read. He said, you know damn well I didn't travel to L.A. to talk about you, fam. You tripping, yo. I went to be an analyst in which you acting foolish was the topic, and I gave my analytical opinion. Get off the gas, yo. You did it to yourself. So, Raja and Tommy, what yo. is your take on this never-ending beef with A.B.? And shouldn't there be a quote about former teammates not talking trash to each other like this? Well, let me just say this first before we get Roger's take on this. I'm just glad we're seeing a little NBA in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Guys going, I mean, this is something we would see in the NBA a lot here. And this is happening. good drama. This yeah. is good old-fashioned drama. And you know what? I hadn't factored it in. Antonio Bryant, great call on the diva with Bruce Arians rocking Kangles and like uh, and like old-school run DMC glasses. Very good call on the diva-ishness. <laughs> um, and like, like Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Bryant. Like, yeah, I hear you, man. Like, Keep my name out your mouth to some degree. Brown. Antonio Brown. Yeah, keep my name out your mouth if you can. But if it's your job, um, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, you got to do what you got to do. I think it's incredible. Like I said, I think the beef, I hope it keeps on going a little bit more. And these guys that seem that they like it with the emojis. So I think they're having a little fun with it at the same time. And uh, Yeah, I think it's great. It's giving me a little entertainment. By the way, Hannah, you like reading all those tweets. I, I'm glad that I you translated. Like the stop lying. Most people say stop lean. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I was having fun. I was, yeah, living my best life reading those tweets. All right, so AB may not regret any of his actions, but as it turns out, Sylvester Stallone is the one living in regret. So according to reports, while celebrating Carl Weathers' 71st birthday this week, Stallone said that he feels terrible for, spoiler alert, killing off Apollo Creed in Rocky IV way back in 1985. He said, quote, I have to admit I regret Apollo, I regret having Apollo passing away so soon. He was irreplaceable. So of course, Stallone didn't just play Rocky. He wrote the first installments of the franchise, including the killing off of Weathers' character. So guys, now that this franchise has a reboot, especially focusing on Apollo's son, shouldn't they just try to work him in there somehow like a flashback role I feel like 
Apollo dying was like really integral to like yes. the way the, the the franchise wound up playing out. Like Rocky Four was one of my favorite Rockies of all time. If Apollo doesn't die, it, it doesn't he's have nearly going, the he same didn't go effect. Going to USSR, right? He's training up there in the cabin, yeah. And he's not coming out to avenge his best friend's death. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind him being worked in more in the storylines now with some flashbacks and stuff like that, like Carl Weathers. But uh, in terms of when he had to die and how it set up the rest of it, like I was cool with that. I just remember loving, you know, living in America, coming out, what? going to Vegas Drago, and then, you know, eye to eye, yeah. toe to toe, and then he just gets demolished. Yeah, he got beat up. Yeah, he came out. He dies, he dies. No, you're right. Like, without that, it doesn't lay the groundwork for that movie, and then the, with what we have there with, with Creed and, and Adonis coming back. So. Yeah. Tommy, you just convinced me to go back and watch that because oh I don't. I don't. I think I saw all of them in one sitting. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to watch I was it again. Like, James Brown. Okay. Seriously, yeah, yeah. That, that that is a must watch. Ow, that's great. Yeah, it's the yeah. All right, guys, we that's have to touch on this again. Lastly, or I mean, or you guys could just you know keep quoting it if you want to. <laughs> By all means. All right. So one day after we talked about the Sixers rookie hazing requirements to feed their Chick Fil A obsession, a friend of the show, shout out Alex Rain, who's a former employee here at CBS Sports HQ, he captured this moment on Twitter of rookie Landry Shannon walking out of the fast food restaurant <laughs> on his way to deliver the goods to his teammates before they traveled to Indiana. That doesn't seem like enough food, right? That's Landry Shamit. That? Yes. That but that boy needs to get his weight up, man. He looks like, I don't know. He looks like you should be going to like Wichita State Tower like geometry or something like that. No, that doesn't look like nearly enough food. That, right? that can't I be right. I, I, you, I, that's what I thought, too. We reported that Joel Embiid himself ate four spicy chicken sandwiches, like four waffle fries, and four Oreo shakes. Like, that's not nearly enough food. Maybe there's backup beyond the picture, though. Maybe oh, no. That, the line right yeah, there. that dude in the red's got a bag in his hand. Yeah, he's got a bag in his hand. Yeah, so I think, yeah. I think Shamus is getting a little bit of help getting it out, and there may be two or three trips involved. Got you. Got you. All right. But, but what as it looks right now, not enough. So what was Alex Ruane doing? At, what is there, only one Chick-fil-A in Philly? Like, how? what did he time this up? Was he looking for? Him? I have no idea. I should have called Alex before the show to ask him details about this and how many people were actually carrying out bags, but I don't know enough information. Because you, you, you would have had to have known or been the biggest Landry Shamit fan to have known that that was him just on a yeah. Or Yeah, you had to be looking for him. Um, can I? T- can we get the picture back up of the Chick-fil-A? Because this is a Chick-fil-A discussion now. This is, <laughs> this is no longer... When have you ever been to a damn Chick-fil-A that was empty? Oh, I was going to say that, too. You There's are right. There. there is no, but every single Chick-fil-A in South Florida has 17,025 people in it. Correct. And there's like three lines around yes. the, the restaurant. Correct. You can't even pull out of your parking spots because the, the drive through line is blocking people. The right lane of Highway 1 is backed up. Correct. Quarters of a mile. I want to know where that Chick-fil-A is. What if they travel on a Sunday? It's not open. Yeah, open but what though. do they do? Good point. Good point. Well, <laughs> yeah, well played. Well played. All right. Anyways, that's all I have for you guys. It's socially relevant. Good stuff there, Hannah. Thank you very Thank much. You. Uh, that was fun. I, I was telling uh, Raja that's one of my favorite segments here to do because we don't get to do it that much during the normal HQ hour. All right, so we got a couple other things we want to talk about, um, and it's change. And it's like anytime you have a great team, a great program, people want to poach that success and try to uh, duplicate and replicate. So Alabama, look, they lose people all the time. They lose coordinators all the time. However, it's a little bit different this time because uh, the latest to go is defensive coordinator Tosh Lapoy going to the Browns and joining their staff. So if you look at Nick Saban, he's lost like everybody the last few years, and it continues in like three or four guys just within the last few weeks alone. I mean, when you – now, again, this is not a pro team, but Alabama operates like a pro program. 
at some point you got to be like, man, you, you, you're 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 stripping us down pretty thin. I know Saban's still there. Um, you know, when you, what do you make of this? All? Yeah, I, first of all, I think you saw some of the issues with the turnover starting to rear its head when they played Clemson this year. Like, uh, I think there were some miscommunications there. I think there was a little bit of lack of chemistry within the coaching staff. Um, and they got out coached a little bit, but I think a lot of that's because of the turnover they've had prior. And when that starts to creep in and you continue to be stripped of your coaching staff, it, it doesn't typically get better. So it's the second straight season they lose their OC and DC and they've lost. Obviously the stats are up. I mean, Tosh Lapoy, Brent Key, uh, Josh Gaddis, Dan Enos, Mike Loxley, Alex Mortensen. It's, you don't just replace that. You, you plug in a new guy. You might have faith in him, but. That new guy might not have the relationship with you that the old one did, might not know you inside and out and what you want to do in a, you know, third and 11, like, on, 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 you know what I mean? Like, he just might not know that seamlessly. And when you're matched up against people who are your equal, making sure you're in the right, you know, play and having that right chemistry with the guy becomes the difference in, in beating them and losing to them. And again, I think it reared its head in the Clemson game. Um, and yeah, you'll get the five-star guys. But that, that, that coaching turnover is a real concern for Bama. And Danny said it on here. When you start to have that, it could be the beginning of the decline of something really special because it's hard to build. It's hard to build when you're bringing in a new guy every year because you're starting from scratch. You're building a new foundation every year instead of having one in place already and then building off of that. Yeah. So we're talking about the Belichick tree. Again, the NFL, 32 teams. You're talking about division one football. I saw a stat there, like out of the major programs, like basically power five, 65 schools. Saban and Saban disciples make up for like 12 and a half percent. Yeah. Ridiculous that's pretty crazy in terms of head coaches. So, uh, sticking with Alabama, of course, you know, Tua Tonga is the guy there. Jalen Hurts now headed to Oklahoma. Boy, you go from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray and now a chance for perhaps a third straight Heisman Trophy winner. Um, here he comes as a grad transfer, going to be able to play right away. The transfer market, we've seen some success right here. Your thoughts on, on Hurts to OU? I can't be mad at him to, for, for going to Oklahoma with what they do there offensively and what they've done with quarterbacks. Um, I'm a little salty as a Miami fan. I was hoping that we'd get him and... Y'all got and Tate kid. Martell though. Yeah, but I don't know if Tate can Tate play right away. He's gonna, he, well, so here's what he, he's gonna, he's gonna apply for that waiver that which a lot of people are doing. Okay. We'll also probably talk about it in another discussion of, of, of guys that will claim some type of hardship or something to be able to play right away, but as of right now, I don't think he I can. mean, if he doesn't get, if he gets that waiver, my feelings aren't as hurt. If he doesn't get it, we could have used Jalen this year, but, you know, Jalen, the, the, the guy, I don't know his name, the guy who came here as the OC for Miami, came from Bama, or from, from Bama as a quarterback's coach, they said he had done really good work with Jalen in terms yeah, of, yeah. yeah, he knows in terms of, you know, turning him into a better passer this year. I think you saw that. Um, in that SEC championship game when he came out, he looked like a different player from the year before. So if he's made strides in that, and then he goes to a system that's just produced Baker Mayfield um, uh, and uh, by Kyler, Murray. Kyler Murray, uh, and they're slinging it all around, and they can help uh, further his growth as a passer. You know, for a guy who probably aspires to be a pro quarterback, I think it's a great look. Yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing because both Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, among others, they are transfers. So the transfer model works. The, the question is the grad transfer. Yeah. Only because in most instances, you only get the one year. So they get into spring ball and they get into fall camp, especially if it's a system that's different. Yeah, it's a lot of new info. You don't have time to grow, and so that may be one of those things. By the way, a lot of people thought maybe he'd go to uh, Maryland and follow Loxley, of course, but uh, if you have a shot to go with Lincoln Riley, yeah, sure. you wouldn't want to do that. So speaking of uh, transfers and OU, so Jalen Hurts coming out to be Boomer Sooner means Austin Kendall, who thought maybe he'd have a shot. Not anymore. So here's the interesting thing. He wanted to transfer and go to West Virginia. He is a grad transfer, although there's some cases where grad transfers can 
can play up to two years because they graduate uh, in three years as a junior. So he would have had the ability to do that. However, OU said, no, no, no. Like, we're not going to let you do it. Uh, Competitive balance. Uh, and then we were talking about in our pre like, all of a sudden they get a little flack. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what are you talking about? You benefit from transfers. Why are you not letting this? And it's a grad transfer, not just a normal kid that wants to just try out and play. And eventually Lincoln Riley and OU says, okay, you can go to West Virginia. This is why I will always – always side with a kid in a situation like this because their first reaction is what they really wanted to do. Like, they really wanted to screw the kid. They did. And I would ask you why. Why you want to screw him? Like, you, you ain't going to play him. Like, you got somebody got else. You, want. you got everything you want. Like, why do you care where this kid goes and plays? You know why? Because I can and I, I can do it. And so I'm going to do it. And so good for, like, social media backlash and good for everybody and good for Austin Kendall, real talk, yeah. uh, because that's a major institution full of grown, rich men that are going to try to, like, stifle a young kid's dream like I, I i hate it and i will always hate it and i was you know it happened to me so i'm i'm super sensitive to it uh but good for you austin kendall and like oh you you don't you don't take transfers exactly like you don't like uh, uh baker mayfield wasn't a transfer kyler uh kyler murray wasn't a transfer oh, yeah. like jalen hurts transfer like come on plus the get over yourself graduated did his job come on, everybody man. in college basketball team hella petty i hate it hella petty leftover time Rajan Tommy here talking. Uh, let's start in the association once again and talk about Daniel House over in Houston. So we all talked about the Rockets being banged up. Gordon, Capella, Word. three. Harden going off, yes, but a big reason why they're having the nice sort of stretch here is because of Daniel House. However, turning down a deal with the team, got sent back to the G League because they can't figure it out. Daryl Morgan Company to, to, to figure this thing out. Part of it has to do with the contract thing, of course. Um, they can't really send a two ten days. There's a lot of the language, but basically, they offered. He didn't think it was enough. You know, you're on, been on both sides of that thing, man. What do you make of it? So yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, so first they offered him like oh, NBA teams, like they're just gonna get you for it. They want to get you for as little as they can get you for, and lock you in with their option for as long as they can lock you in for, right? And when you're not a draft pick, there's some leverage there because you, you you want the money, right? And you know they don't. They give you the money, but then they're gonna lock you in. So if you exceed expectations, they got you at a cheap rate, right? So here's the deal. He could have played. They offered him a three-year deal, non-guaranteed. They said no. And like, okay, heck, our whole roster's out. Like, we'll offer you a three-year guaranteed, but at the minimum. And Daniel House is like, look, I'm averaging like nine points, three point six rebounds through twenty-five games on a team that's you know upper echelon Western Conference. Let me give you some names, right? So essentially, a three-year deal, minimum money for him would have been four point three million over three years, right? You won't be locked up for that long if you're Daniel House. Like you think you're gonna be better than that? Yeah. Over like I, I, I won't be out of that, right? Let me give you some names of guys that are averaging nine points a game, which is what Daniel House is averaging. Patty Mills, twelve and a half million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iman Shumpert, eleven point one million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Kelly Olenek, twelve and a half million dollars a year, mm-hmm. and Darren Collison, a square ten million dollars a year. So if I'm Daniel House. I'm rolling the dice, baby. Like, send me back to the G League. You guys ain't got nothing to roll out there. Everybody's hurt. Unless you want to up that offer, send me back to the G and I'll roll the dice next year. No, I'm there. It's just crazy because, like, even in the NBA, I know the, the, the TV deals change and the salary cap. Like, remember a couple years ago, Mike Conley and Tyler Johnson down here gets paid. 40, yeah. 40, 40, you just never know. So if you're locked into that thing, which you're getting, again, a little over a million a year, I mean – to your point, man, he's balling out, and, and he's thinking that he can leverage that and parlay that. In his yeah, life. man. No need to lock into three years right now, bro. Daniel House, we're on your team, buddy, as we take a look at more leftovers staying in the association. You got a little Joe Ingles? Okay. 
Joe Ingles and that that uh, jazz, but it looks like a like a pH level. He looks like a waiter at like Applebee's or something. That's like, what everybody he does. Like everybody he does. thinks he's that dude at the Y. Where is he? Right there. And that's probably a slim, jacked up Joe Ingles too. There's the Joe Ingles. <laughs> he's cold blooded though. He's a bad boy. Oh, and he, he tweeted. I told uh, he told Wozier, I've got a receding hairline. I'm slow. I'm probably not the most jacked and abs and all that, but I'm still <laughs> going to beat you one on one. Word. Where does he rank in terms of the most likable dudes in the league right now? I think he's. You know, I think he's likable for a lot of reasons. He's got a really good sense of humor. Um, but generally people cheer for underdogs and he's an underdog story. I mean, look, he came into the league. I guarantee you when NBA guys saw him, they thought it was cake. Everybody thought he was sweet. They just thought that was going to be like a, a rollover. And then he goes out there. Um, and in his first year, you know, I watched him. I was like, this dude's okay. Don't know like what type of ceiling he has, but he's all right. And then every year he comes back and he's better and he's better and he's better. And now I think he, like, he's a very, very, very good NBA player. Like he is above. A role dude. You know what I mean? Like he is a difference maker on team. So I, like if I can just gauge it off of whether I like him or not, I think yeah. it's super likable. Where would you, if, if Joe Ingles was the captain of your starting five, who, who else is joining Joe Ingles right now on a sort of, I like him. I like his game. Pretty good player. Maybe a little, maybe a little, not disrespect, underrated. Yeah. Um, shoot. That's a tough question, man. I mean, I put Spencer Dinwiddie just cause we talked about him. Like, yep. yeah, he's really good. And I, you know, I think. That team just not being on national TV, people don't really take account of how good he is. Um, I mean, other names out there, uh, Jeremy Grant's having a good year out in Oklahoma City, like sneakily. He's having a really good season. Um, trying to give you different positions. You put me on the spot with that. Oh, you know, position list. Just, just, just. Yeah, I don't know. Um, three in there. We'll, we'll do the, yeah, let me give me, yeah, like our old guy, come back to me. We'll throw the three in there and we'll go out there. So, uh, let's wrap things up with basketball, but go with, uh, women's college hoops. Okay. UConn's Megan Walker outscored the other team Mm. last night. So she scored 34. Tulane scored 33. Look, I know it's UConn. They always roll, but when you look at that, obviously everyone's going, man, as we're taking a look right now, the production there, first D1 player since 2002 to outscore a league opponent. That's tough. Um, I wouldn't really care too much, like, cause UConn is just super dominant, except it's against Tulane, and we have a family friend, Aaron Gutierrez, that plays for Tulane, and so that, and then it makes me feel kind of bad. Tulane got up 22 threes, opposed to, like, UConn seven, which is interesting. Um, but look, they're dom, they're a dominant force. They're gonna get, them, I mean, I guess Notre Dame, um, I'm trying to figure out Stanford usually really feels a really good women's team. Um, South Carolina was doing it lately too, Tennessee, right? With Tennessee. South Carolina. Um, yeah, Don Staley was doing a good job down there. So they're, but, so they're but, like Bama in they football. Are. They're getting the best players in the country yeah. every year. When you take a look at the women's game and the men's game, there's such a big discrepancy. I was just, we were talking about here. Actually, shout out to my old stomping grounds in Fresno, California. Um, the Hanford girls basketball team beat Mount Whitney 116 to 10 and they Jeez. got reprimanded by the district because they were, but they're a good team with good players that, that produce players that go to the D1 thing, but uh, you just see that a little bit more in that game. I don't mean to be insensitive, but I, I guess my question is like, you beat them one something to 10, right? Did you keep did you press them when you were up 60, or are you falling back into a zone and their kids and just, just keep giving good. you the ball? Like, Because you know, I fall into this sometimes with my, my, my kids' teams, like my younger kids. We're beating the heck out of you, but I'm not pressing you anymore. Like, my kids are back in a zone, and your kids are just giving us the ball. Like, I can't tell my backups that they can't score. Do you know what I mean? Like, all I can do is take the pressure off. So I guess that would be, like, competitively, like, how I felt about it would be dependent on whether he was pressing them or not. All right. We're out of time, everybody. We'll see you later.